Winter Workout Wednesday. Welcome to the Podcast Daily. That is Jeremy Birmingham. I am Austin Ward. And the Buckeyes never really stopped working out. But the official start of mat drills and big-time workouts is when the Ohio State social media account posts those black and white photos and gets the videos going. So, Berm, it's Wednesday. We like to do stocks. Who are you most intrigued by the physical transformation that could be starting right now before spring ball starts in March? Oh, that's uh, Malik Hartford. Malik Hartford. Yeah, that's a guy on my list for this year. I think, you know, even with the addition of Caleb Downs, I think Malik Hartford has a pretty important role to play in the Ohio State defense this year. Um, he is definitely at the top of my list. Uh, and the other guy that's on defense, I'm just going to swoop in and steal a second one because I think it's the most important remaining hole on the defense is what happens with Arvell Reese? Does he become a linebacker? Does he be stay at defensive end? Does he move back and forth? Uh, the kid is physically different than any other player really on the roster, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, as far as his combination of size, speed, et cetera, maybe Sonny Styles is in the same conversation, but Arvell is like a grade A freak. And uh, I'm wondering if we see the 2024 Ohio State defense because you expect to have really, really good front four play and because your back end is so good, I wonder if maybe we see a reversion for Jim Knowles to the 2022 defense where the linebackers were more aggressive and more downhill and because you can trust your back end um, better than they thought they were going to be able to heading into 2023. Um, and I think the linebacker play is going to make or break the defense from being like generational to being just really, really good. So I, I'm looking at Arvell Reese to see if he's someone who can push CJ Hicks, um, Gabe Powers, and, and the other guys in the linebacker room for that second spot on uh, next to Cody Simon. Would do you think that he Arvell Reese? Do you think he's ultimately a linebacker now, or do you think? And again, we talked about this a lot with CJ Hicks, like. Is there room for more playing time and or a willingness for Ohio State to play Jack hybrid defenders up front? Um, but when we we saw Arvell Reese like running down on kickoff coverage, and you don't usually see defensive ends doing that, but we also saw him pretty early in, in August training camp getting reps up there and working at defensive end. I guess maybe we'll have an, a better answer by April, but what's your feeling about the best spot for him? My feeling is the best spot for him is linebacker. Uh, like what we always thought Baron Browning should be that rush end outside linebacker. But my, my worry is that Ohio state's just going to keep moving him back and forth between what they need the most help at, at that specific week or day. I think the, the interesting thing heading into this season is that the need appears to be much greater at linebacker than it is at defensive end, which is where there was a significant need last August, which is why he moved there then. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, I, I think that Arvell is a player that, can really be a difference maker if you just let him go out there and, and attack the football. Like I mean, he's not um, in a situation where you're expecting him to be the the Tommy Eichenberg, Cody Simon slash quarterback of the defense. But if you're looking for a guy to rotate in around Cody, whether that's with CJ or or Gabe, like I said, like he's the type of athlete that can make something special happen there. I think, and uh, it, it, the value of being the fourth linebacker to me, seems higher than being the seventh defensive end at this point. Yeah, no, that's that's a fair point. Uh, I don't want to gloss over your first pick there with Malik Hartford, which, um, you know, you kind of did, and I don't want to. I think that there was so much to love about that 
training camp, the just the little we saw, and then how much we were hearing his name was like by the end of the month, it's like, hey, this guy might start. And he did start a game in September. Now it wasn't perfect from there. You saw him run into some of those early walls that a lot of players do try and get over that hump. Uh, only had the one rep that he would certainly like back and Ohio State would like back in the big house in that loss uh, in the game. But boy, the the physical traits, if you add in a year of experience and actually getting on the field and then now another full year going into match drills, winter workouts, all these other things in the spring practice, like I know that Caleb Downs and Lathan Ransom are going to take two of those spots and you have Jordan Hancock back to run the nickel and Sonny Styles is going to fit in somewhere. But the, I guess the Malik Hartford shouldn't be overlooked, which was your point that this guy brings a ton of value and also has really high upside and has already played for Ohio State in some situations that maybe he wasn't ready for. Uh, but that is something that you and Bill have both talked about. Like that is how you have to learn by getting some of those scars and getting those reps. Yeah, and it's not a situation where you're, you're playing quarterback or something where there's one guy in there all the time. They will rotate at safety. You're hoping that with a schedule that sets up pretty favorably for Ohio State in 2024, that you're out in front in some games early in the season and in a big way. So you're going to get a lot of these guys some extra reps because your goal for this season is a 16-game season. So you aren't going to want to send the starters out there four quarters every game if you don't absolutely have to. And I don't think that as we head into this, this offseason, you know, there's been so much buzz about what the defense is bringing back and how it can be, you know, one of the best defenses of all time. And I think that there's a potential for that at Ohio State. But there are like talented youth pieces that need to have an opportunity to still develop because, you know, you brought back eight guys on this defense that maybe could have gone to the NFL or seven guys on this defense that could have went to the NFL. Uh, but those guys are going to the NFL after this upcoming year. So you still have to pre- start preparing for down the road. I mean, we've spent a lot of time focusing on everything being for this season, everything being for this season. But if you handle your business and do what you are are planning to do, you can't just forego 2025 and beyond. So you still have to find a way to, to develop and build those guys up. And um, that's why those two, because they're physically very like just explosive players. Malik Hartford is a, is a, like a, you know, a heat-seeking missile in the secondary. And I think that you are going to want to see him add another 10, 15 pounds, get up closer to 200 as opposed to that 180 where he was at most of his freshman year. And when you do that, maybe the game starts to slow down a little bit. And um, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of guys you could talk about, but on defense, those are my two. I don't want to put these two together and lump them together because their situations are not identical, but I don't, I don't know that I can resist doing it anyway. And that's Luke Montgomery and Tegra Shibola. We've, when we're looking about, you know, looking and projecting forward the situation for Ohio State on the offensive line and knowing that they probably, there's one spot that's up for grabs that's going to make March and April really fascinating uh, for how those battles shake out and, and where Ohio State's confidence level is the next time the transfer portal um, would be available to them uh, for moves in, in May, which technically it still is, but you're probably missing the boat with deadlines for getting into class but like Tegra I think is probably in terms of physicality and people that you know, dudes who step off the bus and intimidate you I feel like he's on the short list for Ohio State as, as some of the most imposing one of the most imposing guys on this roster and it hasn't quite happened to him but he's got a couple years of physical development under his belt and the strength certainly looks there uh, I don't know if it's a, a technique issue or what that has maybe kept him back from breaking into the lineup 
um, last year when there could have been some opportunity for him to do so. Um, but the chance is there now. And the same goes for Luke Montgomery, who is you know a year behind maybe in that physical development. We don't know what he needs to do if it's going to be center guard or tackle because really he could go in any of those spots and maybe that would influence the way Mickey Marotti and the strength program want to want to work with him over the next six or seven weeks. But Ohio State needs another offensive lineman to break in there and be uh, a game changer for them. And those are the first two guys that I look at. doesn't mean that they're the only ones because there's a pool of four or five guys that are all going to be vying for playing time, including you can't rule Carson Hinsman out in that mix as well. Uh, and he also, I think, can use some more physical development this offseason. But if we're narrowing down for me just to the offensive lineman, I'm going to shrink it down even further. And it, it's Tegra and and Luke and how they how they maximize January and February. Yeah, and I, I think what makes those two the right answer, and the, I was thinking about offense, and that was the group, that was the two that I was thinking as well, simply because how is this unfolds has plays a major role in what happens on the Ohio State offensive line because we don't know if there's a, any real momentum towards moving Josh Fryer inside again. We think that's the case, but we don't know. If, if Tegra Shabola emerges and steps up and he's like, he's your guy at right guard, then maybe you keep uh, Josh Fryer at right tackle. If if both those guys step up, what happens? I mean, I think that they play a big role in the overall breakdown of the offensive line moving forward. There's other guys like Austin Saraveld and Josh Padilla who the coaching staff is very high on, but like it, this this doesn't seem like the year that you're expecting them to break through and be major contributors, but this is the offseason for them that's going to make or break whether or not they are in line to be the starters in 2025, and, and I think that that's an important uh, thing for those two to recognize. The other guy on offense that I, I think is, it, when you're talking purely physical development, that is vital for me is Jelani Thurman. And, and he's so big and so naturally gifted that uh, I think you sort of at times can overlook the fact that he still carries a lot of baby fat on him, it looks like, uh, at, you know, six foot five, almost 265 pounds. And I think as you start to see his body like tone up and, and turn, into more of a, a man on the football field. Like he's going to be dangerous for Ohio State. And I, I love the pickup of Will Keck Merrick, the Ohio tight end, because it means that you don't need to necessarily force Jelani Thurman into being your second guy with G Scott. But it is a big opportunity for Jelani to to step up and and really um become, you know, his father is a former NFL player, longtime NFL player in Odell Thurman. So like he knows what it takes to make it in the NFL. And the goal for a guy like him, regardless of how difficult or how developmental the tight end position is, the goal when a player leaves Georgia to come to Ohio State is to be three and done and head to the NFL. If he wants to do that, this is a major, major offseason for him to to make sure that he puts himself in that position. I was almost scared to talk about Jelani Thurman because like, every time I see him, it looks like he's gained more muscle, more mass, and then he looks taller. I, I like maybe he needed to cool it in winter workouts. Like you're doing too much, um, but you're right because it, it he can change the way he carries some of that that strength, and he's going to grow into that frame a little bit more. It does feel to me like March and April is probably more important for Jelani than January and February. The only reason, and that's not not to be argumentative about it, but I think that some of the things that kept him off the field and you the developmental part is always worth a reminder at tight end that. That's not just blocking, but also for him with route running and catching the football. You know, he, there were there was an opportunity in November when Kate Stover was out and guys were banged up, and 
you know, some people weren't available for year-long suspensions. Like They were really low on tight ends, and they still didn't quite have the confidence to put Jelani Thurman out there. I think it was Rutgers specifically where that was the game where he thought, well, okay, well, maybe he's going to get out there. He's just Ohio State didn't still fully feel that confidence to let him go out there and do all the things that a tight end needs to do. That's not an indictment of him. It's a reminder that it's a true freshman playing a position that's really hard. Yeah, and they put Patrick Gerd, the walk-on, out there instead of him in that in those situations. And I, I think in some ways that that forces a guy like Jelani to maybe take a step back and say, "Hey, how where am I in my development?" Um, I think that a lot of these guys, Jelani and Tegra uh, specifically, uh, the off season, the January February can be very very instrumental in making March and April better. Because once you start to really buy into the program as far as the, the, what they're doing now, it adds to your confidence level and it gives you that ability to walk around with a little bit different attitude in March and April when you're actually practicing. So um, I, I think a lot of those things are tied together. But certainly Jelani, from a physical standpoint, has the ability to be one of those NFL-type tight ends where you look at him and you're like, holy moly, that dude is built different. And I, I mean, yeah, every time we see him, I think he's like two inches taller. So I don't know when that stops or if we're just getting shorter. It's possible. Uh, but <laughs> that that position uh, for Keenan Bailey this year, because you lose Cade Stover, you have now a sort of a leadership vacuum there. Someone has to step up. And I think that the ability to really step into that role starts right now. So uh, for a guy like Jelani, who you sort of defer that to G Scott, I guess, because that's, you know, he's heading into, into year five and, uh, you believe that he's emerged and taken on that leadership role, but now someone else has to do that as well. And that all these things are part and parcel for Jelani to, to make that, make that move. We almost well, always talk about, you know, that physical development and transportation transformation for guys in the trenches. But what about somebody like Brandon Ennis, uh, you know, with not having gone through this first part of the year before at Ohio state. Um, I mean, that's the way of the world, the way it used to be like there Early enrollment was not a very common thing, uh, even 10 years ago, where it yeah. became like you have to have your whole class here. I wonder how much you think. 10 years ago, that- Ohio State in the class of 2014 with Raekwon McMillan, Johnny Dixon, et cetera, had seven guys early enrolled. That was the most they'd ever had. And each of the last three years, it's been 15 or more. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, I picked that number at random, but I'm glad you knew the answer off the top of your head. That's why uh, you're the best. But, like, you know, it, I don't know how much catch up there is for Brandon Ennis and how much difference it makes, but it doesn't hurt to have the next five months ahead of him that he didn't have a year ago. Yeah. I mean, if Brandon and you looked at him this season and like, I think probably people were surprised at how big he was, not like tall, but he was very, he's very well put together for, you know, a receiver that's just scraping six foot. But um, uh, that is a big conversation for him. And on the same token, for me, the other guy on offense is Lincoln Keenholz. Uh, if you saw him in the Missouri game, and I thought Lincoln actually acquitted himself very, very well in that Missouri game, considering he probably got virtually zero first-team reps throughout December because they were trying like hell to get Devin Brown ready to, for that game. He gets forced into a situation where there's nobody blocking for him. Uh, the, the one area where I think that he didn't look like he belonged was that he physically he's still only that 175, 180 pounds. And if you're going to be quarterback in the Big Ten, especially a guy that's running the ball and moving around a lot out of the pocket, and you want that opportunity to be the number two guy behind Will Howard this year, because uh, like I said earlier, you're going to get a lot of reps. So if Ohio State has leads like they should based on the way the roster is and the way the schedule is, 
Uh, this is a big year for Lincoln Keenholz to establish himself um, physically and, and to head into spring really going head to head with Devin Brown for that number two spot. And I don't think he's going to be able to do that unless he's able to change himself physically a little bit to get ready for the rigors of the Big Ten. And he wasn't ready for that last year. He didn't enroll till June, was obviously running scout team all year. And then you get thrown into the, to the Wolves um, in, in the Cotton Bowl. And uh, I, I imagine that has spurred him a little bit to to go even harder than he was, and I, I would I would not be surprised if you see him, you know, in that two hundred pound range by the time spring rolls around. Yeah, I think quarterback is a good one for all of those guys. Really, I mean, this these winter workouts are key. But the reason I would I would throw Will Howard out there is not because he needs to get bigger, faster, or stronger over the next six weeks. But if he's going to be the starting quarterback for Ohio State. This is when you start to develop those leadership skills. This is when you st- the, the guys around him, the other 84 scholarship players, they see what he's all about. Uh, when you're attacking these mat drills and when they put them in competitive situations, whether that's sprints or, or lifts or whatever, when they break you into different colored groups and, and say who's going to be a gold guy and who's going to be an iron buckeye, like all those things are developed during this period of January and February. This is the start of that journey. And he's been on campus now. When, when did we talk to him? Like, a week ago today, um, weeks ago. you know, yeah, I, well, the time, yeah, time is flying and getting away, but you know, he had only just arrived on campus. So he's still learning his teammates and it's not all about how much you can help the offense in terms of accuracy or your ability to run. Like they got to believe in the guy who's going to be their starting quarterback. And, and if there was an element and, and only the guys on the team can say if there really was or wasn't. If they felt like that spark, if that aggression, if that intensity or energy was lacking from Kyle McCord, and again, only they can say that. We don't know. We're not in these workouts with them. or not in the weight room. Um, but if you want to fix that or if you think that it needs to be improved, the onus is on Will Howard or Devin Brown or Lincoln Keen Holtz or Aaron Oland or Julian Sayan to bring that. And the expectation is that Will Howard is spo- was brought in to be that guy and so you have to act accordingly, and that starts right now. Yeah, I I can v- picture in my mind C.J. Stroud, what he looked like when he had his 50-yard touchdown run against Michigan State in 2020 <laughs> compared to what C.J. Stroud looked like in August of 2021 when he was taking over the starting quarterback job at Ohio State to what he looked like when he left Ohio State at almost 235 pounds. Like The difference was stunning. And, but it made him a better quarterback and it also made him a better teammate and made him a better leader and made guys believe in him a little bit more. Uh, and all those things are, are part of the game. And that's what makes these next, you know, eight weeks, six weeks before spring practice starts. So, so important for, for all these guys. I mean, it's, we watched Jack Sawyer and the transformation he made last year. And then you saw it translate to the field. Like those things matter. JT two shedding weight and, and trying like it, it is my favorite, like, sub story of the football of covering football is how these guys grow uh, and, and how they all change themselves in different ways. Because like, think about, you know, uh, Emeka Abuka when he came in at 185 pounds, like now he's, you know, 215, 220. Some people might think these guys are too big. I don't know. Uh, I, I think that the, the value here is that you're playing a very rigorous schedule. Um, but as you said, this is also probably more about, are the guys in that locker room believing in you and are you buying into what it takes to be part of a special team and, um, and, and special teams in some cases? Um, 
So it's really just a, a really fun and important couple of weeks ahead for this team. And I'm looking forward to that first time we get back into the Woody Hayes Athletic Center in the next you know, couple of weeks from now and, and get a chance to see people and be like, oh, look at that. He's already grown. He's a real boy. Well, well, I think it's that they're becoming real men, which is what we generally see. And it gets pretty uh, remarkable to watch them transform. And that's a process that's it never really stops for them, but it's underway again with winter workouts in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. A couple guys to watch there. We probably could have named 60 more, but we're going to end it right there. No, on the I, I don't want to end yet. I want to ask. Oh, you, you don't want to. OK, I, I don't want to end yet. I, I'm interested in your perspective on if what if you believe Ohio State should or has any sort of adjustments happening in strength and conditioning. Like we've seen this program for the last few years, and I think there is this overreaching overarching belief in some sects of the fan base that like it's stagnated a little bit. Do you believe that? And do you, cause I don't personally buy it, but like I do understand why people in the fourth quarter of the Missouri game and the Michigan game, the last couple of years, look at it and go, Whoa, what the hell happened? And I think it's more like, well, the defense was on the field the whole time when they got worn out. Uh, but you know, where do you, where do you fall on that conversation? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't personally believe that it is a Mickey Marathi issue that Ohio State has one that they need a new voice leading the program. Uh, I can I can understand, as you said, why people want to point to that and find reasons or justifications for what's happening late in these games or why there's been, you know, the volume of injuries, which I don't believe when you look at the other availability reports across the Big Ten or the the nature of college football across the entire country. Ohio State was, by and large, pretty healthy throughout the course of the year. And the ones that were notable, Travion Henderson gets speared in the ribs on an illegal play against Notre Dame and misses a month. Emeka Ibuka has a high ankle sprain, which I'm not really sure how Ohio State could train differently to avoid that. And they, you know, same thing for Devin Brown. Uh, but Emeka had to go, you know, have that tightrope surgery. You know, yeah, I don't have a non-contact, you know, running off the field. Yeah, so I don't see a ton of these being like, and again, there's there's people that are going to be way more knowledgeable about that than I am. I'll defer to them. I talked with Anthony Schlegel about that throughout the last season, and you know he's certainly close to the situation, and he certain would have an affinity for Mickey Marathi from learning and working with him throughout the time. But like he has also been out and run his own program at the NFL level, and and knows pretty much everybody in college football through his work with the difference. Mickey Marotti remains in the highest esteem across the profession. These, when we talk about the remarkable transformations and development that we see physically, that's like, that's real. Like we're not making that up. Yeah. And that's also why you see NFL teams. If, if it's a close situation, why they're going to defer to the training um, and, and, and physical stamina and work ethic that is instilled by going through that program through Mick in, in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, I, I think all of that remains really strong. There is a part of this that I think may be significant, Burnham, which is that because of the success of Mickey Marathi, he's losing staffers pretty significantly to go run their own shops elsewhere. And so there may be a part where like Mickey doesn't Mickey Marathi doesn't train every guy individually and lead every session in the weight room from start to finish. So if you're turning over those people that he trusts, uh, that he needs to be able to lead the workouts. Do they all bring that same level of juice and intensity, and you know, get them through workouts and toughness the way that that he might want? I don't know. I do think that there is going to be 
one addition at least into that room to try and bring that along. When that person wants to make that announcement, uh, I hope that they do with uh, the same passion that they bring to anything else that they do in life. But I think that that's in the works, which which suggests that maybe Ohio State doesn't think that it's 100% perfect right now, but it's also, like everything else in the program, not broken, probably 95% effective. And if they can squeeze 5 to 10% more out of that, they're going to try and do that. That's really been the theme of the last two months. Yeah, evaluate everything uh, and and then take those one or two extra steps that you need to to go from being great to being elite, right? And that's that has been the course of this offseason. And um, I, think it, I think it would be an interesting thing to look through how many guys have left the strength and conditioning program in the last few years to go on and take on their own programs because we hear a lot about it, you know, Ohio State losing assistant coaches or – you know, but is that that is a big part of what happens in Michigan specifically? I mean, the the addition of Ben Herbert in twenty twenty one has changed their entire program. So I, I think you can't look at the strength and conditioning stuff and gloss over it. But I think you can realize that it's been pretty darn good for a long time. Mick Marotti has not forgotten how to get the most out of people, but uh, you always and should never be afraid to have another voice or, or a different opinion or a different style. So um, I think Ohio state, like they've done the rest of this offseason, will 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 make that adjustment. Yeah. And we'll probably get more insight on that as the winter workouts roll along. Are you ready now? Should we call it? Yeah, we, can, we can call it now. All right. No, that was a good question. It was a good point. It was well, well brought up if we're actually going to talk about the start of winter workouts and what they mean for Ohio state. So uh, great to dig into that. With Jeremy Birmingham on the podcast daily for Wednesday. Thanks for spending some time with us. He's Burma. I'm Austin. We will talk to you later.